Welcome to Hi. Business Unmuted. Thanks to our sponsor, Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers representing some of the world's best manufacturers of cars, vans and motorcycles. Check out their website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Nikki Jolly, standing in for Graham Robb this week, and I'm the founder and owner of Darlington-based HR Today. We provide bespoke HR solutions to businesses in the Northeast and the wider UK. We support business owners and managers by offering a complete HR solution from administration through to director level strategy. And I'm delighted to be here today while Graham is away. Hopefully the mice won't play. In the studio today we have Brian H. Aitken, owner of M and MD of Brian Aitken Associates, which offers a range of services to support businesses in developing their public profile. He is also the former business director of the Trinity Mirror Group. Down the line, we have Charlie Holt, the founder of Opencast, who operate as a portfolio of businesses where he is the entrepreneur and investor, as well as being active in the regional leadership as the founder and the chair of Dynamo Northeast and the managing director of High Hubs. We also have Michelle Cooper, MBE, the chief executive of County Durham Community Foundation, which provides grants to community-focused charities that are best placed to fight poverty, enrich lives, and create real lasting change. So welcome everybody, nice to see you all. Um, my first point is, last week we had the autumn budget, where the Chancellor announced a range of tax thresholds, freezes, cuts in dividend allowances, the annual exempt allowance for grants, cap um, capital gains tax, and the threshold of 45 pence additional rate of tax. Um, Charlie, what do you think this will mean to businesses that you work with? Thank you for having me, and it's great that Graham's given you a tongue twister of a of a uh, of, uh, of lines to to keep us going and really hard questions. Um, I, 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 the budget was fantastically boring and stabilising <laughs> compared to the previous budget several weeks earlier, and I think the key isn't necessarily the budget, which is kicked a lot of cans down the road. It's more about what kind of, if we are going to have a recession, what kind of recession is it going to be? And my sense is that there is actually still a lot of very strong economic activity going on, particularly in our region where things are still buoyed up well. Other regions are, are suffering harder. You know, London is quiet. Newcastle is busy. Um, and I, I think that we'll have a recession that's three quarters are about 2% below the normal threshold. So it's going to be relatively long, but relatively painless, uh, barring some of the horrible cost of living issues that are, I also think have been somewhat overplayed. Great, thank you. Um, yes, I can agree with a lot of that comment, to be honest, but uh, the Northeast does seem to be much more buoyant at the moment, and we've sustained that since COVID, personally, I think. Um, so hopefully we can continue to do that. Michelle, what effect will last week's budget have on charities that you work with and what they do for other people? Yeah, so I, I guess I have to jump on Charlie's point, don't I, about the cost of living crisis being overplayed. Um, I think if you were to argue that on a national basis in, in or national media, then, then yes, there's some of that. But as a charity that's working with uh, charities in, in local communities, we're just seeing need that's uh, exceeding the level of COVID almost. Um, there's not all actually an awful lot in the budget for them. 
Uh, there's not actually an awful lot in the budget. To, to Charlie's point, it was quite a boring budget. That's fine. But there's not a lot of help to charities. So they're still going to suffer in terms of um, increased demand on their services. They're, uh, have Every charity is having trouble recruitment, uh, recruiting right now. The salaries that they're having to offer are considerably higher than, than what they were in the past. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but the way charities are funded, they may be hiring someone from a grant that was issued maybe two years ago. And so with inflation, you're just not getting anywhere near the, the value for money from the grants that you used to get. So demand is high. Demand is high. Charities are seeing people coming through their doors that they never used to see. So there is a cost of living crisis and there wasn't an awful lot in the budget to help both the people that the charities are helping and both the, the charities themselves. There was a lot of help, but how quickly that help often gets to people is another matter as well. You know, some of these things are promised several years down the road and, and how quick some of these cost of living support get to people. It's taking a long time and it's really complicated. Can I ask a sort of uh, question of you, uh, Michelle, uh, on the front line of all of that? And uh, apologies if I made light of it, but but um, I've you know been reading about the challenges of the structural challenges of the UK economy and how, um, which was definitely one of the uh, icebergs that uh, Rishi that um, that uh, Quasi Quartang's Titanic founded on. Um, I'm pleased to be paying more tax as a high earner if that helps distribution of income and inequality. And the UK is one of, perceived to be one of the most unequal uh, societies. And, and some of the stability of this budget has been to add that back. Yeah, I, I think it's the tip of the iceberg in trying to, to balance that inequality, to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not, I'm not an economist, um, so I'm not going to sit here and argue how much money is going to flow. You're an educated person. You're talking about the budget. You're talking about tax cuts, the people that we're helping. You know, the budget probably didn't even cross their radar. It's not that they're stupid. It's just that they are desperately trying to manage their lives, their complex lives, they can't budget anymore is, is something we're hearing a lot because they've got no savings and how do you budget with nothing? So you, you can talk about money, you can talk about taxes, but the money is not flowing down in a speed at the level that I think is really needed, to be perfectly honest with you. Do, do, will, do, do, sorry, it's great that there's a start. Sorry to interrupt, Michelle, but do, don't you think that um, probably the reason why the budget was boring it was boring, and certainly in comparison to the one that Quasi Quarteng announced. Um, and its primary focus had to be on bringing stability to the market. So therefore, the people that you're helping and you're dealing with weren't in the primary focus of that budget, and that's going to have to come probably later. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and again, boring was good. You know, on a personal basis, I was very happy that we had some stability post the, the budget. Um, but, you know, if you if you argue that the the rise in energy price cap is going up to three thousand pounds, that's a five hundred pound increase. So yes, the budget didn't help those people. It's actually put more people into a position of of potential debt in a very short period of time, because five hundred pounds most people haven't got five hundred pounds, and many of those people are actually going to be um, probably on bills that are more than that because of the nature of of prepaid meters 
you know, there's a premium that you're paying for the fuel um, for those that can least afford it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So Brian, following on from that, what can businesses do to ensure that we're remaining positive and we don't talk ourselves into a recession during these uncertain times? Well, I mean, I, obviously by my accent, I'm not from these parts, but I have lived here for about 20 years. And I think this region has got a very, very good record of not talking ourselves mm. down or, or ourselves down. You know, it, it, it wasn't long after I arrived here that Passionate People, Passionate Places was launched. And um, in my role, when I was editor of the journal, I kind of picked up on, on that and kind of ran with um, a series of campaigns called um, It's Great Up North, 100 Reasons Why It's Great Up North. And I don't think we've kind of lost that vibe, uh, that, that kind of energy. And I, I do think that we've got a very, very good track record of, of uh, accentuating the positive and, and and there are a lot of positives out there. If you have to look hard enough to find them, you will certainly find them. And I, I could point you to St James's Park. Yeah, well, yes, that's <laughs> another of my ex-clients. <laughs> um, the the only last week there was a, an event in London called Knowledge Northeast, and that was uh, organised by North Star Ventures NGI and Northern Accelerators, which is the the the, the, the Northeast Universities um, coming together. And that was showcasing to a, a room full of very important people, bankers, investors, etc., that there are £30 billion worth of opportunities in the North East over the next 10 years. And they, they did a brilliant job of showcasing this region and the kind of talent that there is here, and particularly in, in fintech, clean energy, um, renewables, etc. Brilliant. And Our universities, one of the stats, I, I missed the event, but I saw the prelude, that the universities involved... York, Teesside, Sunderland, Northumbria, Newcastle, Durham have as much research, talent and energy as Oxford or Cambridge. That's correct. Yeah, I think it was um, the only um, centre where there was greater research um, firepower was in London. But we certainly combined together, acting together, we surpassed both Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah. Fantastic. Good news for the area. So, Brian, you're a well-known communications expert. I think I called you a guru on Monday um, in many sectors in the region. And you're about to launch a new venture. Would you like to tell us about that? Well, well I'm, I'm hopefully launching a new venture. I mean, the, the, we're at the investment round. So, this, so the, the investment round in this um, current climate is probably the most difficult one to overcome. But yes, I, um, I'm, I've been planning on launching a new weekly digital seems strange to call it a newspaper when it's mm. not just news and it's not on paper but it'll be uh, in essence a weekly digital newspaper called the QT um, its primary purpose will be to bring quality issues uh, quality journalism focusing on the issues that are important to the northeast and without being disparaging to, to um, the local media uh, and not just in the northeast I hasten to add but the, the, the local media in general have, have kind of gone down this uh, route of clickbait uh, articles online, trying to bring as much click, click currency in as they possibly can. So we're going against the grain. We won't have advertising. It will be paid for subscription, um, but it will be a return to the kind of quality issue journalism that we used to have and enjoy. And when are we expecting to see that? You, I would like to see it by, out by April next year. Excellent. Brian, is that a business or a general news? 
it will be primarily regional affairs with a bit of business and, and bringing back the kind of culture coverage that we used to do on the journal with the magazine. So, and, and, and another USP that we will have is um, a comments and opinion section called Civilised Society. So we believe that like, there should be an antidote to all this toxicity that you see on social media where you're, you know, there's all these polarised opinions, there's insults flying around. So our subscribers would all have to um, um, abide by the Civilised Society Code of Conduct. So you're allowed to um, have arguments, but it's respectfully done and it'll be an insult-free uh, insult zone. Um, so we're kind of hopeful that that USP will be enough to get more people interested. Good luck with placing that. <laughs> and we will, yes, we will moderate it to make sure that happens. <laughs> so, Michelle, moving to the big C word, Christmas is on the horizon. Uh, which is a key time for charities. I appreciate that's yeah. always one of the challenging times of the year. What are charities um, you working with doing to gear up for the festive season and beyond? <laughs> Do you know what? That hasn't even come up in on the radar for us right now, I have to wow. say. So um, what are we doing? We're running Poverty Hurts yes. um, funds. That was launched recently, last week? It was before. launched at the beginning of November. So because of the demand, we effectively repurposed about a million pounds that we were able to, to raise earlier uh, and have put it out there. And really, it's about keeping the lights on for the charities, giving them money that they can actually meet the demand of services, uh, users, sorry. Um, you know, we're funding things that really are about helping people put clothes on their back, food on their table. But I think what's also really exciting about the stuff that we're getting through, people want to put on programs that help people get skilled, you know, get digital literate. Um, they don't, they don't, can't afford broadband. A lot of people, they're, they're not online in the same way that you and I are. Um, so I can safely say that they will be doing stuff for Christmas, but that's not what we're seeing and funding. I mean, literally my team are meeting weekly to review over 100 applications a week to get money out, to keep lights on and keep services going. Part of that will be opening up for Christmas, making sure people have a nice meal, that there is potentially a present. But it really is about just trying. We're just making funding available for what's needed right now, and that's keeping the doors open and increasing the the staff to meet need. And that's really a reality, isn't it? That, you know, Christmas has always been a big event, but that speaks volumes to all of us in that, you know, it's not just about Christmas. It is literally survival for some people. So. Yeah, I mean, there are charities such as uh, Feeding Families and there are charities all, you know, we work with over 600 charities. So I never, I always hate naming one because I'll always offend 599 <laughs> others kind of thing. But, you know, Feeding Families started off at Christmas to put it in, in context to make sure people had a lovely Christmas meal. They're now just a year round service because of the need and the demand. So, yeah, it, it's there will be a Christmas for people, but it won't be quite as, as much fun, I don't think. Mm. Okay, thank you. So moving to you, Charlie, the levelling up agenda is still a big priority to local businesses and you're working closely with several in the tech sector. How is the North East doing in terms of becoming a tech hub and what more could we be doing to attract talent to our area? I was um, on LinkedIn this morning and I saw the BBC have written a paper about their impact from developing tech clusters and different talent clusters and they have invested in uh, their Newcastle studio to build 
data analytics capability to work alongside all of the activity they're doing in programming. Uh, and that's just one of a record year of inward investment uh, uh, opportunities that have landed in the, in the Northeast. So um, it's great to see people recognizing the fundamentals in the Northeast that we have all those universities, that those universities do produce talent uh, that can be uh, encouraged to stay for their first uh, few jobs in the region, if, if not for, for their whole careers. And we're also seeing boomerang Geordies, um, people coming from the South back to uh, a, a lower cost housing market where wages are still very decent. You can have a great lifestyle. And the, uh, I think that's a fascination of post-COVID that the death of distance, you know, we're having this conversation in a number of different locations, all beamed out live on the internet. Um, and the same is true of work. Hybrid working is, you know, a real phenomenon. And those lessons uh, and those experiences are going to be embedded in the world of work, which is an opportunity, not just for our regions, towns and cities, but for some of the outer lying areas that are going to need a bit of new vitality that has been uh, in decline over a, a number of decades. I, I saw that investment um, announced by the BBC for Newcastle, Charlie, and I thought, that's brilliant. It's really, really welcome. I just thought it was a shame that it was being done at the same time as they announced they were cutting back on local radio. You know, that, that they're going to have fewer hours of programming that's dedicated to, to Newcastle and Teesside. And it just... It seems I, little... totally, I, I, I think that's your opportunity with the QT. Yes. <laughs> that the, the uh, centralising of media, be that national or local radio, where it's let's put the budgets together of five different radio stations and make a supersonic programme that kind of suits no one versus going much more hyper-local yeah. and getting issues that really matter to us and that we can resonate with and respond to. And so, uh, so um, I, I push that back to you. Yeah, no, They're I leaving you a gap in the market. <laughs> yes, a bigger gap. <laughs> Your yeah, first yeah. challenge there. Um, can, I, can I just say, from a, from a third sector perspective, levelling up is just not happening. You know, I mean, it, and I don't want to be the doom and gloom person because the sector I work for is amazing. It is the most resilient. It is also the most innovative sector I have ever worked in. And the leaders are amazing. And I used to work in tech investment startup. So I know it, you know, 15 years at North Star Ventures. I can almost safely say the charity sector, they, they can pivot. They can make amazing output from so little money. But the levelling up agenda is not happening here. Um, you know, we're not getting the support that we need. The shared prosperity funds, nobody's dare mention those words. You know, the amount of money coming into the region compared to what we used to have is just ridiculous. And then we're set silly targets in the sector of please go and spend it by March 31st next year. Year one monies we all have to spend by March 31st next year. So the value we get for that money, one, we're getting less money, and two, we're getting really poor value for it. And that's not the fault of the public sector. They're working their socks off to try and make it happen. But, you know, levelling up, I'm not seeing much of it. And, that, you know, I'm being quite bold in putting that personal view out there. Um, 
yeah, it, it's questionable. And how does the job market, Michelle, impact on that? Because obviously we've got more jobs now than we've ever had. Minimum wage has just been increased by nearly 10% from April next year. Um, I hear what you're saying, but how does that have a balanced effect in the fact that jobs are there and we can't fill them? So the challenge you've got, I mean, I can only really talk knowingly-ish about County Durham. So we have some of the health inequality, huge issues in County Durham. So we've got a lot of economic inactive people is the, the phrase today. Um, there's barriers to getting those people into work around transport, connectivity. You know, people are literally paying for people's bus fare because of the way the salaries might work. We've then got an awful lot of low skilled jobs in this area. And we've also in County Durham, you know, it is predominantly S not even M in terms of the SME world. We have very few businesses headquartered here. So yes, the jobs are there, but actually I think I think the increase in, in minimum wage is fantastic. I completely endorse that, but I think it's actually gonna put a lot of pressure on small businesses, of which there are a lot in County Durham, mm. which could put pressures on their own sustainability. And then we've got these whole inequalities that are really preventing people from getting into the workplace. It's not that they, don't want to um but you know for some people by the time you paid your bus fare i mean i did a bus trip today it took me nearly an hour and a half to get somewhere that in the car would have taken me 15 minutes and it cost me seven pound fifty wow. that's yeah. a lot of money when you haven't actually got a lot of money and you're trying to get into work and your salary is paid in arrears okay that's interesting and those are things that businesses can help with and i also relate to the small businesses that you know, yeah. the, the pressure is on them. And I do see that more restructuring, more redundancies are likely moving yeah. forward. So we've got this battle constantly of not getting people there because we're not helping them, but actually whether companies can now sustain and afford those kind yeah, of Yeah, there's, there's a phrase called the cost of working. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So it's actually expensive to get into work sometimes and then stay in that work. And um, time consuming, because yeah. an hour and a half compared to 15 minutes is three hours on your day, isn't it? So, yeah, thank you. I have colleagues in my I have colleagues in my London office for whom their commute from Canterbury is seventy five pounds return. Wow, a day, a day, crikey. Okay, so we're not that bad, but we have issues <laughs> that we can resolve definitely. Yeah. I'd like to thank all my guests, uh, Michelle Cooper, Brian Aitken, and Charlie Holt. Thanks for watching, and thank you for my guests for coming today. Thank you. <laughs>